one constant through all the years, Ray. Beyond the game. The ladies are digging my sweet bass. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. You like that? You like that? That is a career ender, just like this show. You're already famous in Rochester, but watch out world. It's a faith-based sports radio program. We would be honored if you would join us. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Good morning, everybody. It's opening weekend for Major League Baseball. Practically a national holiday for Zach and I, as far as we're concerned. Thanks for tuning in. We're glad you're able to spend a little time with us. This is the Beyond the Game program. I'm Rick Benson, along with Zach Barletta. The website is btgprogram.com, and on social media, it's at btgprogram. One of the most incredible streaks in all of sports was broken this week. The Detroit Red Wings will not be part of this year's NHL playoffs. And if you think that isn't a big deal, my daughter, who's getting married this summer, wasn't even born yet the last time that happened. Heck, Yarimer Yager wasn't even playing in his NHL career yet. So you That's know, going back a really long time. Exactly right. Steve Eiserman scored 62 goals for the Red Wings the last time they missed the playoffs. And the great Sergei Fedorov was making his NHL debut. The movies Home Alone, Dances with Wolves, and Ghost were popular at theaters the last time the Red Wings had not made the playoffs. J.K. Rowling had just begun writing the very first Harry Potter book. And coincidentally, the L.A. Raiders announced their return to Oakland. <laughs> the year of the, of the the last time the Detroit that's Red appropriate. Wings. It is appropriate. It's kind of a big deal, and but you know, congratulations to the Red Wings. Obviously, not for missing the playoffs, but what really has been an incredible run, and not quite as an impressive a streak, but maybe another sign that there's a power shift in the NHL is that for the first time in ten years, the Edmonton Oilers are going to be in the playoffs. Once a perennial Stanley Cup contender. They give hope to a country that hasn't won the title since 1993. Wow, that's unbelievable to Isn't me. that? The Montreal Canadiens were the last Canadian team to win the Stanley Cup. And it just, I, I when I saw that, I was like, man, really? Has it been that long? But it has. And after last year, when there were no Canadian teams in the playoffs, it looks like there's going to be five this year. Zach, you had asked me in January during a shenanigans statement about the possibility of Toronto making the playoffs, and I, I called shenanigans on it because I thought Tampa Bay, Florida, Carolina, Philadelphia, they were all better teams that though they were behind them at the time, I thought they were going to pass them up. Toronto still hasn't clinched, but I guess it shows you what I know because... But no, before the season, <clears throat> who would have guessed? Edmonton and Toronto both in the playoffs? Nobody would have drawn it up that way. Coming up later today in the program, the NCAA Final Four kicks off later today. We're not really going to talk about that because what else is there left to say at this point? Play the games already. But we will talk about some of the coaching changes and the unusual circumstances around how some of them went down. We'll get into that. But I also want to talk about the way the NHL handles Sidney Crosby, which seems to be different than the way it handles most everybody else in the league. We'll segue both of these topics into biblical discussions and make some takeaway applications, so stick around and see where we go with them. 
Plus, Zach is ready with, as I said, his list of shenanigans, statements, lots of baseball stuff in those statements. And we'll tell you what it is that we like this week. That's all coming up a bit later today on the Beyond the Game program. Let me tell you about Town & Country Pest Solutions. They've been in business for nearly three very successful decades. They have the experience to tackle any pest problem. Covering Rochester, Syracuse, Buffalo, Albany, Watertown, any place that can pick up this radio station is somewhere Town & Country Pest Solutions takes on pests and critters of all kinds. Town & Country's technicians are friendly, professional, and most importantly, they're knowledgeable. Bees, wasps, roaches, ants, bats, mice, call Town & Country. Even raccoons or larger animals, call Town & Country. Have a bed bug problem or just want to check and make sure that you don't have a bed bug problem? Call Town & Country. Early detection is key when it comes to bed bugs, so if you suspect a potential problem, call Town & Country Pest Solutions today. Town & Country's success rate and their guarantee are both well above industry average. Call Town & Country Pest Solutions today, 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024 and let their team of professionals handle whatever pest problem you may have. Or visit them online, townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions, fearing nothing but God. Is here, Ram Sports Network, Christian Sports Television. That's right, Christian Sports Television. Ram Sports Network is the first Christian sports TV channel with programming from Pee to the pros. Games, events, sports talk, fitness and nutrition, sports missions, western sports, and sports ministry. We're spreading the gospel through sports. Watch us now at ramsportsnetwork.com or find us on the Roku Channel Store. Ram Sports Network, more than a game. Welcome back in. Rick Benson and Zach Barletta recording the Beyond the Game program in Rochester, New York. BTGprogram.com is where to find us or on social media. It's at BTG program. We want to welcome in and thank our listeners from Japan. This past week, Japan moved ahead of England as the foreign country with the most downloads of the podcast. I want you to know we do appreciate your listening, although I don't know what you're hearing because I don't speak a whole lot of Japanese. The only Japanese I know I learned in a stick song when I was a teenager. I want to say konnichiwa, but I feel like I may just terribly butcher it, and that was probably a bad idea. Well, one, you've already said it, so maybe you did, maybe you didn't, but all I it's all I know is Domo Arigato, Mr. Mr. Roboto. Yeah, that's it. But I guess I want to thank you too, Zach, as well as your brother Spencer for filling in for me last week. If you missed last week's show, Zach gave his predictions for the upcoming Major League Baseball season. And I'll be sure to tweet those out because it's always fun. I think it's fun when somebody makes a playoff, some team who makes makes the playoffs that wasn't really expected to, somebody that Zach said was going to crash and burn, and then that team's fans turn around and troll him on Twitter. They blow up Twitter with retweets of his false predictions. And of course, they do this like they they knew all along that their team was going to make the playoffs, and half the players on their team didn't think they were going to make the playoffs. Well, that's good. You tweet it from the show account, so it's not from mine, so my phone doesn't blow up every time somebody <laughs> retweets it. For the record, I have the Indians and the Padres in this year's World Series. Of course I don't. I see no reason, though, in all seriousness, I see that uh, my prediction will be the Cleveland Indians 
and the Chicago Cubs once again, except this year I think the Indians will come out on top. As I say that, it wouldn't be a surprise to me if it was the Dodgers and the Red Sox. I'll stick with the Indians. That's my pick to win this year's World Series. And, you know, I didn't get to say that last week being away, but I also didn't get to talk with you, Zach, since I was away, about Sidney Crosby, the Pittsburgh Penguins star, and the eventful, is, is that the word we should use, the eventful couple of days he had? Oh, yeah. And I say a couple of days. It's It's really been a career, though, for him of this mm-hmm. kind of thing. Last week, Crosby struck again twice with his antics in road games against the Buffalo Sabres and the Ottawa Senators. There can be no doubt that Sidney Crosby gets away with some of the most blatant things. Oh, yeah. On the ice. I mean, I mean, I don't know how they don't see this stuff or why they don't call it. I wish to register it's, a complete. It's, it's absolutely unfair. There, there is this double standard in the NHL when it comes to their star players. The result is ugly. And I think it's even dangerous because it leads to injuries. In fact, it's gotten so far out of hand that I'm not sure there's anybody in the NHL who understands how or why the or the rhyme or the reason to how punishment, how penalties are, are handed out. Now, to be fair, there is no doubt that Crosby's targeted by Penguins opponents. That it goes both ways. There's multiple examples of this every year, even on the biggest of stages. You can go back to last year's playoffs when Alex Ovechkin hit Crosby with a pretty vicious slash on the wrist. It, it goes both ways, I guess. So, I also think he kind of invites it on himself with some of the stuff like what we're going to talk about. If somebody's trying to say, though, if somebody was trying to present the argument that Crosby's a clean player, well, that's flat out misrepresenting things. There's just That's just not true. He plays hard. He's a tough guy. And because of that rough and tough play, he often, he often crosses the line. Now, whether or not you're pro-Crosby or whether you're anti-Crosby, that's going to determine which way you think the unfairness goes. The fact that the league allows it to continue, the fact that the league doesn't punish him or other players who do such things to to him, well, you're just magnifying the problem. You're just making things that much worse. And I'm not certainly defending the hit put on Penguins' Jake Gunsel in that game with the Sabres that Rasmus Ristolainen put on him. Ristolainen deserved to be punished, deserved to be kicked out of the game, deserved a punishment. But he got a three-game suspension on top of it. He was kicked out early in the game, if I'm not mistaken. So that turned out to be almost four games. And I'm not sure, well, I know darn well, Crosby would never have gotten that same suspension for the same type of hit. To be frank, I don't think any Penguins player would have. Crosby just chopped the tip of a dude's finger off with a slash and got nothing for it. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty clear what side of the fence the NHL comes down on. Buffalo goaltender Robin Leonard would agree. He said certain teams in this league get the benefit of the doubt. If the jerseys were reversed, I don't think we're standing here talking three games. Mm -hmm. He's right. He's right, absolutely. During that same game, cameras caught Sidney Crosby taking a whack with a stick to the groin of Sabres' Ryan O'Reilly. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. And I wouldn't believe it, except I saw it. It was pretty blatant. It was all over social media in the subsequent days. And, of course, it goes unpenalized. That's the part I can't believe. I'm not even a Sabre fan, and I saw it multiple times. If you follow hockey, you know this happens. It happens more than you think it should. But even so, ouch. 
O'Reilly said, at the time it hurt and it threw me off guard. I didn't know it was him until he came up to me on the ice and apologized. He said later on, this is O'Reilly, that he apologized after and said he didn't mean to do it. Once I looked at it, of course, it looked pretty deliberate. After he said, sorry about that, I was going for your stick and I don't know what happened there. I don't either. It was absolutely, it sure looked pretty deliberate to me. He wasn't even near the stick. And maybe the refs didn't see it. I get it. Perhaps that's happened. It's possible. But isn't somebody in the NHL office reviewing this stuff? Isn't this what that player safety committee or that player safety board, whatever it is, isn't that what they're supposed to be doing? Mm -hmm. They certainly reviewed the game tape of Ristolainen, determined he needed three more games on the bench. They couldn't at least come up with a fine for Sidney Crosby. But if the O'Reilly thing wasn't bad enough, two nights later in Ottawa, you've alluded to this, he slashed Mark Mathot, shattering his finger, mm-hmm. which required 10 stitches. Oh, the to end close of the finger was just dangling by a flap of skin. It was dis- Oh, it was so disgusting. And the Senators are now going to be stuck without his services for probably a couple of weeks. Yet, the, he's, Crosby's not going to face any disciplinary action. NHL Deputy Commissioner, what's the guy's name here? Bill Daly, told the ESPN that the league's not even looking into the incident. You mean this guy, Mathot I'm talking of, is going to lose a couple of weeks playing time, a guy who averages about 20 minutes of ice time per game. They're going to be without him. Yeah. Coach Guy Boucher said after the game that his finger's destroyed, it's shattered, he's out for weeks. Obviously annoyed. All that, and the league's not even going to look into it. Now, this is another play which happens quite a bit. It it, it does. I've seen the hit on Mathot, and, and in this instance, I, I really didn't think it was dirty. I think he was going for the stick, and he got hand. It was certainly less dirty than the O'Reilly play. Now, it may be unfortunate, and it may be unintentional, but Zach, that's still a penalty. And the NHL has shown for several years now that they will hand out justice based more on the result than the intent. We've seen guys who have zero track record of being dirty players get suspensions because the guy that they hit questionably got injured. And you'll see the same hit where the guy doesn't get injured with a lesser punishment. They base the punishment on the result of the play. Here you've got a guy whose finger is cut off and Crosby gets absolutely nothing. This is a situation where you would definitely expect the NHL to come down hard and he doesn't get a hearing, he doesn't get a fine, he gets nothing. Yeah, what you're saying by ignoring it is that we're cool with slashes. We're okay right. with this. This is, And then you go, but then what is that player safety board for? Yeah. Because Mathot's finger was hanging off his hand. Yeah. It was disgusting. And, the, and you're not even looking into the incident. Right. And the one thing that, that got me especially about this is we pan the officiating in the NFL and in Major League Baseball and stuff when we talk about how it needs to be you know, updated or whatever. But at least those leagues, when they blow a call, they'll release a statement and say, hey, we missed this one. It affected the game. We're sorry. We blew it. The NHL has not come out and said, oh, we missed him hitting O'Reilly in the groin, you know, or, oh, on ice, we missed the finger getting cut off. They haven't even really acknowledged it. Oh, it's, you're absolutely it's, it's right. It's been just complete radio silence from them. And if you go with what Robin Lehner said, had the uniforms been reversed and it was Crosby who was slashed in that way, yeah. oh, there'd be outrage. Oh, they're not going to miss that one. Now, again, it goes both ways. 
Crosby took a shot several years ago in a nationally televised game. I think it was a stadium series, a winter classic, whichever it was. He ended up with a long-term concussion. He was out for quite a while. Again, no suspension on the guy who put the hit on him. I don't remember who it was. So whether you see the league being pro-Crosby or anti-Crosby really doesn't matter. What it comes down to, the end result, is that he's treated differently. The problem is the league's opted to ignore it for too long. And I'm not talking about just giving a little respect to a veteran player. You know, it's one thing if you don't call a guy out on strike three. You know, a guy's been in the league for 15 years. Rookie will be on his way to the dugout already. But I'm not talking about these are players that if you don't call them and you don't hand out fines and you don't get this under control, guys are going to get hurt. Ask Mathot. He, he's already hurt. Yeah, and it's not... I think it's pretty well known that I really, 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 really dislike Sidney Crosby. I don't think that's a secret. But it's not just a Crosby thing. It is a consistency thing. It's the same thing as much as I dislike Cam Newton. All those hits to the head that were not taken care of during this past season, it's the same thing. It's ridiculous. You've got to take care of that. You, oh, I, I got to find some you're, consistency. You're absolutely right. And I know, and that's why I was kind of looking forward to this segment, because I know you're not a Sidney Crosby fan, but it's it's the consistency. If you're not calling it, you're saying it's okay, and then you got a problem the next time you, you try to deal with this. You leave yourself open for criticism. That's really what it's about. First Thessalonians 5.22 says, Abstain from all appearance of evil. And I'm not accusing the NHL of intentionally being evil. That's not at all what I'm saying. But I think the application of the verse is worthy of consideration. Look, man, don't take things so near that line which divides right and wrong that you lead other people to believe that you've actually crossed the line. Many believers want to push the limits of liberty in Christ. And I get that. But sometimes not everybody does. You lead people to believe that you're fully engaged in sin. You want to go out and you want to enjoy your liberty in Christ to go and have a couple of beverages. Well, some people view that as sinful. That's a stumbling block for some people. Why not, if Christians are called to holiness, why not set that as an example? Why not set that as your goal, to be holy, rather than push that limit and say, well, I'm not getting drunk, and the Bible doesn't specifically say that I can't drink alcohol, so I have liberty in Christ to enjoy. Why do you have to go so close to the line? And there are other instances. I'm not just picking on alcohol. There's so many things that sometimes we push the limits. Abstain from all appearance of evil. I have a friend who was on a missions trip to Africa. They went and they saw Victoria's Falls. I believe it's the largest waterfall in the in the world. Maybe not the tallest, maybe not the widest, but the combination of of height and width makes it the largest. I believe it's twice as tall as Niagara Falls. It, whichever way it is, it's big. But on this missions trip, he says that there were people going right up to the edge and looking over. He chose to keep a safe distance back. His point is that's the way we ought to be when it comes to sinful situations. Why don't we go right up to the edge and look over? Keep a safe distance back. Unlike the NHL, God is not partial. Romans chapter 2, verses 9 through 11 says, There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, verse 11, for there is no partiality with God. God goes right to the heart of the matter. 
He's not influenced by whether someone's a star. He doesn't consider appearance. He doesn't consider circumstance. At the time, when, when Paul wrote this in Romans, Jews believed they were preferred by God. But what God prefers is righteousness. That's what we ought to be. Nobody breaks the rules. Jew, Greek, otherwise, nobody breaks the rules and gets away with it. doesn't matter how wealthy you are or who you know. We're all judged by the same measure. And the Bible actually gives us examples of times when impartiality led to problems. Gives us a number. I'll just give you two. Genesis chapter 37. Jacob's favoritism for Joseph drove his brothers to sell Joseph into slavery, tell his father that he was killed by a wild beast. In 1 Samuel, Eli, maybe not unlike the NHL when it comes to Crosby, he turned a blind eye to the sins of his two sons, not only caused problems in the home, but it also led to a military defeat for the children of Israel at the hands of the Philistines. And there's a number of other examples. The effects of partiality, the effects of impartiality are a problem. But God is not a respecter of persons, giving everyone an equal opportunity, both for salvation and also judging by those same equal standards. Galatians 3, 28 and 29 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Paul's point in Romans is that we're all guilty of sin. Whether you're aware of God's law or not, you're guilty. If you go somewhere and you're not familiar with their laws when it comes to the speed limits or the cell phone or seat belts, and you get a ticket, you're guilty. It doesn't matter that you weren't aware. In verse 15 of Romans 2, the Bible says we have a conscience which convicts us. Romans 2.15, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bear, bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. Your conscience serves to say what you're doing is okay, that your hands are clean. I, I don't feel guilty about this. But your conscience may also say, this is wrong, and you know it's wrong. Now, the danger comes in when you've ignored your conscience so often that your conscience becomes seared. It's no longer effective. First John 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We are all sinful, and we're all judged equally by God. Unfortunately, we're all condemned as being guilty. We're all sinful. But we're all forgiven in the same way. A person doesn't get to heaven because they're a star. You know, there's no favoritism for the pastor, the church leader. It's all the same. They do not receive salvation based on appearance or circumstance. It doesn't matter how wealthy they are. But in this instance, it does matter who they know. Do you know Jesus? And forgiveness of sins is found at the cross in Jesus Christ. He took our sins on the cross so that we could be forgiven. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And God gave us all a choice. People can choose to accept or decline God's plan of salvation, which is repentance and seeking forgiveness. There's only one way, and that way is Jesus. You can accept it or you can decline it. John fourteen six, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We can't buy our way 
out of the penalty of sin, which is hell. We can't pay the debt of our sin while we're still carrying the weight of those sins. You know what I mean? There's no partiality. We all need Jesus. God doesn't care what you did. What he cares about is that you turn to him. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As a result of that death on the cross, forgiveness of sins is available to those who would simply ask. The Bible says that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you want to be saved from your sins, which has condemned you to hell, turn to God and ask him to forgive you. Tell him you know you're a sinner. Tell him you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you. Admit your guilt. Seek his forgiveness. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you know Jesus? If you want to know more about a faith in Christ, you can reach out to us through Facebook, through our website, through Twitter, and maybe you just want some prayer. You can leave an anonymous message on our studio line, 585-431-1202, 585-431-1202. I'm Rick Benson. He's Zach Barletta. This is the Beyond the Game program. Okay, Zach, let's get to this week's Red Hawks report for our broadcast on April 1st, 2017. The Red Hawks report is presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. A tough week for the Red Hawks teams this past week, starting with men's lacrosse. They lost last Saturday to Mercy College 11-5, despite getting two goals from both Alex Bianchi and Cody Menzies. The loss dropping Roberts to 500 on the season at 4-4 overall. The women's lacrosse team also fell last Saturday, losing a close one at St. Thomas Aquinas 10-9, senior Cassidy Joukowsky scoring five goals in the setback. On Wednesday, the Red Hawks returned home after playing three on the road, but lost to an undefeated Lake Erie College team 19-12. Joukowsky netted three more goals, as did junior Joanna Price. Freshman Jessica Giancurso added two goals. The Roberts tennis team spent last weekend in Massachusetts with back-to-back road matches. First stop was in Waltham on Saturday at Bentley University, where the women pulled out a close one 5-4. The men, meanwhile, dropped their match with Bentley 6-3. Then on Sunday, it was on to Merrimack College in Franklin to take on the East Region's fifth-ranked team, where the men once again fell by the same 6-3 margin. Hugo Ball Green won at first singles for the Red Hawks. He's now the eighth-ranked singles player in the region. The women also fell at Merrimack, believe it or not, by yet another 6-3 score. The road matches continued for the men this past week, but unfortunately so did the losing streak. The Red Hawks falling to Hobart College on Wednesday afternoon 8-1 to drop to 11-8 on the season. Some upcoming home games for the Red Hawks and opportunities for you to head out to the Roberts Wesleyan campus and support them, I might add. Later today, April 1st, that'll be at 1 p.m., the men's lacrosse team will be taking on Seton Hill University, while tomorrow, April 2nd at noon, the women's lacrosse team will be hosting Queens College. But that's really it for the home games this week for Roberts. So that'll do it for the Red Hawks Report for this week, April 1st, 2017. The Red Hawks Report is brought to you by Roberts Wesleyan College. And remember, you can follow Roberts Wesleyan Athletics on Twitter at RWC Redhawks or visit their website, athletics.roberts.edu. This has been the Red Hawks Report presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. Do you know a high school athlete looking for a D2 college? 
Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College, where athletics are fundamental to our commitment to educate for character. Our athletic program is strong and getting stronger every year. We offer 17 varsity sports, from lacrosse and basketball to track and field and soccer, and the only Division II athletic program in the area. Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. Welcome back into the Beyond the Game program. Benson and Barletta. In fact, why don't I turn it right over to Barletta, Zach? Uh, give us your shenanigans statements for this week. All right. The formerly Oakland Raiders have joined the Vegas Golden Knights as pro sports franchises in Sin City. Truth or shenanigans, the Oakland A's will be the next professional team that moves to Las Vegas. I say shenanigans. I think that eventually the A's do move out of Oakland because they have many of the same revenue issues that the that the Raiders had. But I think Vegas probably needs to see how much professional sports they can actually support without mm. saturating their market. Eight football games, 41 hockey games is a little different than 81 baseball games. Plus, I've heard the A's have been romancing with San Jose a little bit. There are other cities right there in Northern California. So I, I'm not sure how much truth or commitment is involved in that, but there are those reports. So I'm going to say shenanigans. I don't see the A's moving outside California. When I first came up with this question, I thought for sure, yes, the A's were going to be the next team. The more I thought about it, though, the more I don't think Oakland can afford to let them leave. Um, I know Oakland's played hardball with them, no pun intended, uh, for a long time about getting a new stadium or going to San Jose or wherever. But if you are the elected leadership in Oakland, if you're the city of Oakland, can you afford to let the Raiders leave and then let the A's leave? You, you really can't. I think you have to make it happen and keep them there just so you don't lose all your teams. So I do think eventually there will be a baseball team in Las Vegas. Um they already have a triple A team, but uh, I do think eventually it happens. Well, again, eighty-one games is is hard to support. Mm-hmm. That's, I don't. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure it can support football, hockey, and baseball. Although the thing that would be in baseball's advantage, of course, is you're not competing directly with football and hockey. Right. It's You'd be the only season, show in town. But you are competing with all the casinos, all the entertainment options, all the many things that Vegas has to offer. Number two, Sunday is not the real Major League Baseball opening day because there are only three games. Let me get your opinion on that. What do you think? Uh, I, I've heard that argument, and I think it's baloney. And I know Major League Baseball has tried to separate the two. Like, they call it opening night on Sunday and then opening day on Monday. I call shenanigans on that, too, because how can it be opening night on Sunday when the first game is at 1 o'clock in the afternoon? Like, well, that just doesn't make any sense. But... It's the first day that the games count, so that's opening day for me. You know, I actually agree. It's not the real opening day. I guess I guess I see it as ESPN's opening day. Don't they always that's have fair. the opening night and then they got mm-hmm. a line? I, I think it's their opening day. And, and But it's not the real opening. I'll, I'll be watching the Yankees, of course. I think they have that very first game. Mm-hmm. But to me, I like and I miss the tradition of having the Cincinnati Reds opening the season. I think it doesn't matter to me if it's only half an hour before other games. 
but first pitch should always be in Cincinnati. So to me, opening day begins when the Reds throw out the first pitch. I was surprised to see that, that they weren't the first game. I, I thought I must have missed something or missed some kind of announcement or something that it wasn't the Reds. Number three, Clayton Kershaw will win another National League Cy Young this year. I'm going to go with shenanigans, although he may very well do that. He, he's a terrific pitcher, but there's just so many variables. There's so many unknowns to make that kind of statement. So I'm going to go with the field and say shenanigans that he won't win it, but he may very well. He's terrific. That's sort of what I was thinking about when I came up with this question is it seems like a slam dunk. You know, you when you're making your predictions before the year, well, okay, Mike Trout's going to be the AL MVP. Clayton Kershaw is going to be the National League Cy Young. But he had that bad back that caused him to miss over a month the last season. And backs are tricky coming from a family of bad backs. And uh, while I hope that he's healthy and I think that he'll be healthy, that's it's such a question mark that you never know until you get to the end of the year. I don't year. know how people do that. And here's what I think about predictions. Predictions are just, they're really guesses. They're anybody's guesses. Mm-hmm. I know they're kind of fun and you can look at a team, but you can have a number of injuries on a team and that's going to that's gonna change your whole season. But when you start predicting individual awards, like mm-hmm. this guy's going to be the MVP, this guy's going to be, how do you know that? You're, mm-hmm. that that's a stupid segment to me. It's a goofy discussion. But and yet we do it. And know? every and every show does it, sure. <laughs> All right. Finishing above 500 in 2017 would be a successful year for the New York Yankees. You're a big Yankees fan. What do you think? Uh, I, I think for the media, for the people who are making the predictions that we just talked about, it would be. Because I've seen them predicted to win anywhere from like 78 to 85 games. People think that, oh, they'll be all right. They're not going to be very good. Um, for me, I think, and I said this on the show last week, I think that they could be a better team than that. I think they could actually find their way into a wild card spot because a lot of these teams that do what the Yankees have done with the rebuilding on the fly have kind of snuck in to playoff competition a, a year or so early. So for me, I think just being above 500 would not be a successful year. I think that this is a team that could compete for a wild card spot. I suppose it depends. I, I agree with you. They they can contend. I just don't think there's going to be enough pitching, but I'll tell you what, they've pitched well in spring training. There's two standards here. Finishing above 500 is is never a goal for the Yankees or the fans. I mean, mm-hmm. it's World Series or nothing. But the truth is, the way you look at this roster, 500 would be fair. It yeah. would be. They're going to hit. We know they're going to hit. They've hit all year long in spring training. And they hit last year. The guys like Sanchez, guys like Bird, last time he was healthy. The question, like you said, it's the pitching. And there's a lot of depth. They finally have a lot of depth pitching in the minors that's ready to contribute. It's just how good will those guys be? Well, that's my point. There's tremendous excitement about the future. But I think that future's still a little bit off. But maybe you're right. Maybe they can contend and be better than that. <laughs> that's a pretty <laughs> profound statement. <laughs> This is real great radio. They're going to be 500, or maybe they'll be better, or maybe they'll be worse. I'm like every weather (laughs) forecaster. The sun may come out today. It may not. There's a chance of rain. Whatever. Cover all the bases. (laughs) Good luck, everybody. (laughs) All right. Last but not least, anything less than a second consecutive World Series title would be a disappointment for the Cubs in 2017. Yes, it would be. I, I, I agree. They're so loaded. Their minor league system was sacrificed a little bit in making trades last season. Mm-hmm. 
But that major league roster is as good as anybody's. The problem they could encounter, like everybody else's injuries, and they don't have the guys at AAA who can step in and fill the gap. Most of their young talent is still real young talent, single A. You know, some, mm-hmm. they got some nice prospects, but they're really in the low levels. They have a strong team. I I think they should be gunning for it again. I think they'll win the National League. I think they'll play the Indians again. But I think this year it's the Indians' year to take them. Uh, I agree. Um, I think with you on probably both fronts that you mentioned, I agree that anything less would be a disappointment. Pretty much everything went right for them last year. You can't expect that to happen again this year. But at the same time, they're so good. They don't have an obvious weakness that, you know, I think people are throwing around, oh, yeah, they should win 100 games. You know, like that's just a thing that teams do all the time, which it's not. That I think it would be a successful year to just win the division and get to the playoffs, but I don't think anyone in Chicago would consider that a success. All right, there you have it. There's our shenanigans segment for this week. When we come back to the other side of the break, the Final Four kicks off later tonight. We're going to talk about that just a little bit. There's not much left to say about it, but we're going to talk a little college basketball the other side of the break. This is Benson and Barletta on the Beyond the Game program. When I have a home remodeling project, whether interior or exterior, I call McAfee's Remodeling Company. Family owned for nearly two decades, McAfee's Remodeling Company is the name I trust. Mike McAfee put a new bathroom into my house three years ago, and I'm still getting compliments on it every time someone comes over to visit. Mike and his crew are experienced and professional, and you'll be thrilled with their work. So give McAfee's Remodeling Company a call today at 402-1070. That's 402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. Do you know an athlete whose participation in athletics is vital to their college choice? Then consider telling them about Roberts Wesleyan College. Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts. We field 17 varsity sports and offer the only NCAA D2 program in Greater Rochester. Our teams have won six conference titles and reached three NCAA national championship appearances. Help the athlete you know to take their game to the next level. Visit roberts.edu. Benton and Barletta taking you through the hour here on Beyond the Game. Mixing sports with faith. The program's available on podcast. In fact, it's downloaded all across the nation and even in many places around the world. Number of places each week globally downloading our show. Blows my mind every time I see the stats. And you too can listen to previous broadcasts or even subscribe to the podcast yourself right there at our website, btgprogram.com. It's Final Four weekend. My bracket's predicted champion, Gonzaga, is still alive, so I'm okay. Of course, they're the only one, Zach, of my Final Four teams that is still alive. Like a lot of people, I lost out when Villanova lost early on. Mm-hmm. They were my, my predicted champion. Yeah, a lot and a lot of people. That was a good pick. But I was still doing pretty well with my Final Fours until this past weekend when I lost out on both Kansas and Kentucky. But that North Carolina-Kentucky game, was that was a tremendous basketball game. North Carolina is my only team in my Final Four that's still in it. Well, Darren and I, our former co-host Darren, we are in a battle to win the BTG bracket this year. He's currently got the lead, but according to the CBS bracket pool that we use, 
The best he can do is 77 points, while I can still get to 117. He only has one of the final four teams, as I do, and we both have the same one, Gonzaga. But he has a title game of Duke-UCLA. So if Gonzaga can win tonight, then I think that gives me enough points to overtake him. Now, what big deal? We don't have any prize money on it. It's not a big deal. But those of you who know Darren know how important it is for somebody to beat him (laughs) and hold it over his head for the next year. It's critical. You have to do that. But a lot of people had Oregon and South Carolina, didn't they? Of course not. Nobody had that. Can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine the ratings if this title game turns out to be Oregon and Gonzaga? I mean, two West Coast teams. How strange does that seem? I mean, it's not exactly ratings magic when the Pacific Northwest is the bulk of your audience. And I'm not picking on the Pacific Northwest, but let's just be real. That's not a marquee matchup. But it was a bit of a strange ride in college basketball over the last week or so. In addition to the games themselves, you have coaches changing programs and in some cases not doing it according to plan. For instance, CBS Sports' afternoon talk show host, Doug Gottlieb, he interviewed for the open position at his alma mater, Oklahoma State. Of course, he didn't get the job, and I'm not sure in what order everything went down, but it was also announced that he would be moving to Fox Sports, leaving CBS. I like Doug's show. I think Doug does a nice job. I call him Doug. We're we're on a first-name basis. (laughs) Then after Indiana fired Tom Crean, for all intents and purposes, it sure seemed a a done deal that UCLA's Steve Alford was going to be taking that job. He was going to be Indiana's next guy. But instead, they hired Archie Miller away from Dayton and then And then what looks to be backpedaling began all the way around. Alford, who played at Indiana, he said he never had any intention of leaving UCLA. Indiana says they never offered the job to anybody but Miller. Of course, there's all kinds of reports out there. So, you know, they're all saying different things. So depending on who or what you believe, the bottom line is Alford's still at UCLA and Archie Miller's taking over at Indiana. Miller, meanwhile, was rumored to be on his way to North Carolina State where he had played and where he was also an assistant. His father, after Archie agreed to take the Indiana job, he raised some eyebrows when he said this, everyone thought NC State, but I knew that wasn't going to happen. He knows that place too well. You got to trust in the people above you that they'll stand by you, whatever that means. Kind of an odd statement to make. But maybe the oddest set of circumstances to me was when Winthrop head coach Pat Kelsey accepted the same position at UMass, although he led Winthrop to a 13th seed in this year's NCAA tournament. But shortly before a scheduled news conference was set to begin introducing him at UMass, the school canceled it at the last minute. They ushered out all the media, all the boosters who were waiting for that press conference to start because Kelsey had a change of heart and decided to stay at Winthrop. Kelsey said in a statement, For personal reasons, I have asked the University of Massachusetts to allow me to be released from the offer I accepted to be the head men's basketball coach. To be clear, this decision is entirely personal and in no way an assessment of the commitment UMass made to me personally or to resources available at UMass to have a nationally recognized program. Man, that's waiting to the last minute. 
A little later that afternoon, Winthrop officially announced Kelsey's return. There are reports now that Kelsey and UMass are still going to need to figure out the buyout language that was part of the contract he signed. UMass wouldn't, of course they wouldn't. They wouldn't speak in specifics. They reference their respective Kelsey's decision and the confidentiality of their agreement with him, but they did suggest that it could be around $1 million. And they have to work through, that's their quote, they have to work through that piece. That's a pretty expensive change of heart. But amazingly, this wasn't this wasn't the first time it happened with Winthrop. It happened back in 2006. Then it was Greg Marshall changed his mind after a news conference at the College of Charleston. It's really not all that unusual. Bill Belichick has done it. Billy Donovan has done the same thing. In fact, Oregon's head coach, Dana Altman, did the same thing to Arkansas in 2007. Winthrop must be a hard place to leave since it's happened twice there. Of course, they're not the jilted one. You know, they're the one getting their, getting their keep their guy. I can get, though, how someone would change your mind, don't you? You know, you're caught up in the excitement of a new challenge and the idea that you're in demand, you're wanted. I mean, that feels good. But when you catch your breath and you start thinking through it, you stop and you ask yourself, man, what am I doing? I'm curious, though, how that conversation actually goes down when you reach that conclusion. As hard as it must have been for Kelsey to inform UMass that, hey, man, um, you know what? I really don't want the job. Sorry. Uh, you know, especially people are showing up for a news conference. They're there. It had to be hard. But to call Winthrop and ask them to take you back, even though you had one foot out the door, man, you were gone. That must have been just as difficult, if not maybe, maybe even harder. I don't know. After all, while you're bailing on UMass, and I don't mean that negatively, but you are bailing on UMass, you didn't have a relationship really with those people. But at Winthrop, these are people that you have a relationship with, people that you've worked with. And you've already told them that you're gone, you're leaving, taking another offer, you got a new girl. But now you're asking them to take you back. You must have to swallow a lot of pride. I mean, really exhibit a great deal of humility to have that conversation go anywhere is even close to going well. It doesn't come naturally. That is humility. You know, for a lot of people, it doesn't come naturally. In fact, some people are even offended by the idea of being humble. To be viewed as humble really should be a compliment, but many times it's quite the opposite. People feel like it's lowly. Society creates a culture which... Well, you know, it allows us to be selfish. It tells us we deserve things, even to the point of excess. While humility, humility just seems like some kind of weakness to a lot of people. That, But, you know, that's just not biblical. James chapter 4, verse 6, second half of the verse is, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Luke fourteen eleven says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, one of the problems with some believers in today's Christian culture, it's that they can talk the talk. In fact, they can even tell others how to walk the walk. They have the knowledge in their head, but they can't seem to make the application personally. What I mean is that they can talk about Jesus, but they stop short of conforming themselves to being like him. 
They think that the humility that Christ had was so cool, that Jesus, you know, that that's just so cool how humble he was. But in themselves, it's not cool at all. They're so intensely focused on style, on image, on being exalted, uh, they're self-obsessed. Lost on so many is the concept that happiness can be found without being the center of attention. It's really okay. It's okay if people aren't making a big deal about you. That's okay. You don't have to be the VIP at every event or have the best seats at every show. Check out this passage from Luke chapter 14. We just read verse 11, but let me precede a couple of verses and begin in verse 8. And he began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, actually, I started in verse 7. Here's verse 8. When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this man. And then in disgrace, you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher, and then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself, this is the verse we just read, will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Do you get what Jesus is saying there? By starting out in the seat of honor, you could end up being moved out of there, asked to step down in front of everyone. And instead of the glory that you're looking for, you want everybody to notice what they'll see is you being asked to take a more humble place. You end up being humiliated and embarrassed. He says, instead, start out in the, in, in the lowly place. And then in front of everyone, maybe you're moved up. Maybe you're getting VIP treatment. He who humbles himself will be exalted. But there's more. Continuing on, verses 12 to 14. And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. You know, there's that social decorum. Somebody invites you over to their house, and now you have to invite them over to your house, and it just goes back and forth. My poor wife, she had a friend that they invited us over, and just because of circumstances, they have small kids, we didn't. We, we never returned the favor, and it's not because we don't like them or anything. They're great people. But this one person keeps re reminding my wife all the time, well, you never had us over. I suppose we should do it. It just didn't work. It just, it was no other reason than it just never happened. But that's your repayment. If, if you're inviting those people, what kind of repayment is that? You just to get to go over to their place for a dinner. Continuing on in verse 13, but when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Man, your payment... Your payback will be in glory. There'll be rewards in heaven for what you did because you're not getting anything by inviting the poor. There's no way they can repay you. Doing something without regard for being paid back, that's humility. Isn't that what Christ did for us at the cross? For those who accept the invitation, he gives life. And there's nothing. 
There's nothing we can give him in return. To be a Christian, even at all, requires humility. It demands that we admit we're sinners. We admit that we have no ability within ourselves to save ourselves from the place in hell we deserve. We're not holy. We're sinful. We must completely rely on the grace of God to save us. We must come to a place of humility where we admit to God that we're sinners and ask him to be merciful on us. To follow Jesus really is to lay down our desires and to take up his, to bear his cross, and to do it every day. In many ways, humility humility is opposite how our human nature drives us. It, it's hard. It's hard to be humble. What's that old song? Is that a Chris, Chris Christopherson? It's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Why do we so often insist on having our way? Why is, why is being passed over such an affront? Why is it our will, our glory we seek instead of God's will, God's glory? Why is, why is success what matters so much? And I'm not, I'm not against success. But humility would cause us to sort of redefine what success is, wouldn't it? Success would become being used for God's purposes, for his glory. It's not how much money we make or what we've accomplished. It becomes what we've done for him. It's measured in spiritual growth, not in our own accomplishments. The amazing thing, it's sort of like an Alice in Wonderland situation. Everything's upside down. When we humble ourselves— God is pleased to exalt us. Maybe God wants you to humble yourself, to serve someone else in some capacity. Maybe it's in a soup kitchen serving those who they can't pay you back. Maybe it's in a community athletic center, you know, some organization teaching kids a sport, baseball, basketball, wiping their snotty noses. Maybe it's eating lunch or spending time with somebody who's neglected or somebody who's overlooked. Maybe it's working in a ministry in your church where nobody will ever know what you did. Mark 10, verses. Uh, I'll start in the second half of verse 43, and I'll read through 45. It says, But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to earth in the most humble of ways. And you think about the manger scene, a manger intended for farm animals, all for the purpose of giving his life as a sacrifice to pay the sins of you and me. doesn't get any more humble than that. I believe the key, the key to really loving one another, to loving people, even to loving God, is humility. Broken relationships are reconciled through humility. Philippians 2, 3, and I'll close with this. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program.
You're listening to Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view. Beyond the Game is listener-supported. You can help by making a one-time gift or perhaps even committing to a monthly pledge amount. And if you own a business, consider advertising during the Beyond the Game program and promote your business to large audiences of both sports fans and people of faith. Please join us as we seek to encourage, equip, and evangelize through Sports Talk Radio. Visit our website at btgprogram.com for more information or make a donation via PayPal Secure Servers. Beyond the Game thanks you for both your financial and prayerful support. Before we can go home, Zach, we got to, as tradition would hold, do our You Like That. So why don't you kick off this week? What I liked this week was a game that you and I and Darren all watched between the Rockies and the Padres on Thursday. It had a little bit of everything. It had offense. It had uh, a player falling on his face on his way out of the batter's box. It had umpires <laughs> and players alike dropping to the ground because of a swarm of bees. It had the announcers trying desperately to talk about anything besides how bad the Padres are, compar- comparing their pant sizes, all kinds of stuff. It was just one of the most entertaining games I've ever seen. It was almost like a minor league game. But that that game between the Rockies and Padres is what I liked this week. You that? You that, that? It was odd. It was just so – everything was so bizarre. Yeah. To see guys laying on the field, it was something I had never seen before. Mm-hmm. The conversations, as you say, were – I mean, reminiscent of old Phil Rizzuto games where he's talking about where he ate Italian dinner. And I love yeah. Rizzuto doing that, but it was it was a bizarre game to watch. The baseball almost came second to sort of like the the theater aspect of it. And, and mixed in there, as you say, there were guys falling out of the batter's box, but there were some pretty slick defensive plays in there, too. That's true. Psalm 34 one says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Sports Spectrum Magazine this week premiered its new podcast hosted by our friend Jason Romano, who's Mm -hmm. appeared on this program a number of times. Since joining with Professional Athletes Outreach, the Sports Spectrum ministry seems to be re-energized and was very active this week on social media. But what I really like this week is a series of quotes he tweeted and photos by such personalities as the late Reggie White, Mariano Rivera, the Philadelphia Phillies, Mikhail Franco, all giving glory to God. The quote by Mariano Rivera, for which, which I retweeted it, and if you want to go back and look it up and follow Sports Spectrum for yourself, you can find him in my tweet feed. It's at Rick Benson. Remember, there's no C in Rick. Rivera's quote was, I accomplished everything through the Lord and his strength and not my strength. His love, his mercy, and his strength allowed me to do everything I did on the field. The great Mariano Rivera's humility in glorifying God, as well as Sports Spectrum's promotion of such things like that, their renewed energy, and their new podcast with Jason Romano are what I like, like this week. Like and if you want to follow Sports Spectrum on Twitter for yourself, it's sports. It's at sports underscore spectrum. That's our show for this week. Thanks for being with us. This has been the Beyond the Game program. And if you haven't done it already, Check out Zach's new podcast he does with his brother. If you enjoy myths, curious stories, and unsolved mysteries, check out the Myth and Mysteries podcast, available on iTunes and Google Play, or visit their website, mythandmysteriespod.com. For Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, we'll be back together again next week, right here at this same time. Be bold and be great this week, everybody. 